Welcome to Garbage of the Five Rings, a podcast dedicated to cataloging how many different ways you can arrange the same events and still have them make sense. I'm one of your hosts, Jude Bays, and today my co-host Amelia Antrim and I are discussing if Kachigo's hair is so big because it's full of secrets. Mm-hmm. It is. That's why. For corrections and non-apologies, we have no corrections and no apologies because we're fucking amazing. So, And as always, we do not apologize. That Right. Exactly. So... We can go past that. Uh, we do, however, have something special to talk about. Uh, a couple of weeks before we recorded this, an article went up on The Art of Bushido, which is a cool website that catalogs art in games, but specifically in Lord, uh, Legend of the Five Rings. The author of that website, Mason, um, did an interview with Matt Wilson, the original art director of Legend of the Five Rings. And Matt... This one's going right out to you. Thank you for confirming everything we feared and hoped about the origins of Legend of the Five Rings, because this interview is a goldmine for, for, for confirming what we thought about Clan Wars. Uh, I'm going to read a quote. Yes, please. Please do. This is right at the top. This is an answer to the question regarding a style guide. And the short answer was there was no real style guide, mm-hmm. not a complete one. Uh, But then he goes on to say, talking about their process, I'd start with a bullet point on a list that said Dragon Samurai B or Scorpion Chugenja A. And then while I was working on the paintings, I'd start making up ideas for the backgrounds and abilities of the characters. I'd come back to the office with Hitomi, named after a favorite anime character, or a painting of a seductive courtesan. And I'd say to Dave that I thought it'd be interesting if she was an assassin instead of a Shugenja and offer up some ideas for ability rules. And then John Wick would give the character a name and start working her into the stories. It was a really neat time where everybody's creativity was just flowing, and for better or for worse, just about everything that got thrown at the wall stuck. Yeah, we noticed, Matt. Except Elemental Terrors. <laughs> Except Elemental Terrors. Well, that that got in. It just it, it stuck to the wall and then fell off later. Right, yeah. Uh, our samurai spaghetti. This man, yeah, I mean, so to everybody who got mad at us about hating on the clan wars and claiming that there was no plan, uh, suck it. There was no plan. <laughs> there was no plan. Um, I mean, yeah, this is confirmation of everything that we have been saying since we started this project. Of like, did anybody know what was going on? And the answer is no, they didn't. Yeah, we're gonna put this link in the show notes, and we highly encourage everyone to read it because it's. It's fantastic. It's it's a great interview, and it's really really interesting to read about these early days of the game. But it really does confirm our suspicion that it was basically a whole bunch of kids making a game who just had no fucking clue what they were doing. They were just flying by the seat of their pants. Uh, I particularly like the bit where he says, "We were paying our artists so goddamn little, we didn't feel like we could make them redo stuff we didn't like. So we just kind of took what they gave us, and that's why the art is. I think he calls it." somewhat inconsistent yes yeah. which is like the <laughs> really like possible way to say that i mean yeah. I, the thing is this whole era is a mess within the narrative outside of the narrative and whatever was going on over at aeg like it's it's a mess but like we do eventually end up with something cool and so yeah. like they clearly realize that this was not the ideal way to do it but this is what they had at the time you know yeah And I think this actually kind of makes it really interesting to see how this game came out of this 
hodgepodge disaster origin, how they managed to forge something. That stuck around for 20 years. 20 years, 20 fucking years. Or, I mean, more, really, because, like, it's still going. It's, I mean, they sold it off to FFG, but, like, it changed hands a bajillion times in between there, too, so. Yeah, but they they forged 20 years of continuity and out of, out of this disastrous beginning. Out of Scorpion Shigenja A. Yeah, it's really impressive. Yeah. And uh, so it was really interesting to see this, this article was really cool. It was really illuminating. So, like I said, we'll put it in the show notes and we highly recommend that you check it out. But it was extremely validating yes. to see <laughs> to see our theories from the first four episodes just confirmed right out of the horse's mouth here. So Yeah, absolutely. So moving into the actual episode. Oh boy, do we have things to talk about. Boy, howdy do we. I'm excited for this one. This is good Me stuff. Too. This is good stuff. All right. So in this episode, we're going to be covering events that cover most of 1127, specifically spring through winter of 1127. We're, we're in the home stretch. We're getting there. Not not really. No, we're just starting out. We just no, said we're it in the, for 20 No, we're years. in the weeds. Yeah. <laughs> I meant of the clan. Wars. Oh, okay. We're in the home stretch right. of the clan. Wars. Oh, God. There's so much left to do. Yeah. This is when like shit gets real. I mean, if Baden Pass wasn't real. Yeah. Well, this is where we start seeing some of the some of the, the stuff that, like, if you played the game for a long time and people was like, what's your favorite part of the Clan Wars? We're starting to see the stuff that people talk about. Yeah, these are the cool story things, not like, mm-hmm. you know, tactical whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the first one we're going to talk about is one of the ones that is really quite famous uh, and gets a lot of talk. And that's uh, Hitomi and her new hand, the Obsidian Hand. The Obsidian Hand. So you'll recall from episode three that people's hands were going missing and then coming back and then going missing again. Hands are flying off everywhere. Hands are hands everywhere. Now Hitomi is getting a new hand. She was left almost dead at the end of the Battle of Baden Pass. And she wakes up in the Imperial Capital. Like, it's implied that she's not in good shape after that battle. Yeah. And then all of a sudden she wakes up in the Imperial Capital. Kachiko's there. And she's got this badass arm that like she can beat the shit out of people with yeah it turns out there's a, a flavor text later in a later set that makes it that suggests that it was scorpion agents that spirited her from the battlefield yeah supposedly i think that one of the fictions in here said that supposedly kachiko was like watching all along and knew what was happening and you know uh, of course she did because that's how she does and so she was plotting and she somehow knew what was going on and then she had hitomi brought back to the palace and Kachiko has done some unauthorized, creepy surgery without her consent, um, which is super cool and, like, definitely a thing that you should do to people. Um, just attach giant cursed stone arms to them without asking them first, you know. That seems entirely in line with Kachiko's style. Right. But it's exceedingly gross to me. Yeah, I mean, it's real creepy. And, like, I, I guess on one hand you could be like, well, Hitomi was dying. She already didn't have an arm. Like, Kachiko has the spare arm laying around, you know. Uh, you know. Help somebody I, out. I'm pretty sure I've seen a movie that explored this problem. It's called Robocop. Oh. And that movie very concisely came down on the side of that being not cool. Uh, Robocop pretty firmly uh, answered the question that uh, surgery without consent, even to save a life, is still fucked up, especially when you take advantage and gaslight the person that you surgeried. 
Is Hitomi? Did I just make? Hold on. Is is Hitomi RoboCop? I don't know. Was that? I, that's. I don't know. Maybe because she when she gets the arm put on, she goes a little a little. I am the law, doesn't she? She does. I mean, because that's the kind of gift that Kachiko gives is the kind that whispers to you until you slowly go insane. I'm gonna file this one away for later later study, but yeah, let me know. Hitomi is is RoboCop is an interesting thesis yeah i mean the other the other thought that i had is like winter soldier also accurate so interesting yeah these are these are both very good and deserve further investigation right we'll explore this audience we'll let you know what we come back with (laughs) (laughs) but kachiko does not give gifts for free she's a scorpion so she's gonna get her favors and underhanded plotting in even if you don't want her gift so she asks hitomi to enter the tournament of the emerald champion because why not? Why not have a crazy person with an arm that whispers to her as your champion? I mean, I feel like that's a rhetorical question. Is it? <laughs> I'm doing that thing again where I'm looking for sense and I don't think there was any there. I don't know what... I do wonder how this came to be, like what what the narrative choice they were making here was, how they ended up wanting Hitomi to be in the tournament like did they just think it would be cool or if they had some sort of like i don't know apparently somebody just drew a card i bet you any money somebody just drew a card with hitomi with a weird moon hand and then later somebody saw that art and then drew her in the tournament and they're like well let's just connect the dots Uh, i wouldn't put it past them i mean i seem to recall in the interview somebody saying about that the hand thing was somebody just drew a card a piece of art with somebody with a with a missing hand or something like that, but I could be mistaken. In any case, the we end up with Hitomi entered into this tournament, and it's a real. I don't know what the goal was, but it does set up some interesting conflicts, which we'll see in the future here. So here's the thing that's very interesting about this is that we get Hitomi. She's got this obsidian hand, and Kachiko's like, "Go enter this tournament, and you are more powerful now, and you know you can actually win." But then who wins that tournament was a player decision. It was like a tournament yeah. decision. So, mm-hmm. you know, they set up the story and then we're That's like, right. well, I guess we'll find out what happens. Like, so were they That's hoping good... that people would, uh, but that was a tournament decision. It wasn't even like a choice kind yeah, of a decision, like a even... vote. So it, it's not like. Yeah, this is one of the frustrations I have with the Imperial Herald stuff. I don't have copies of the old Imperial Heralds. I would love to see them. But I don't know, like, um, for example, the Emerald Championship. I don't know if it was, congratulations, person who won that tournament. Who do you want to win the, the Emerald Championship? Do you want it to be one person off this list? Or do you want it to be name any card you want? In latter days, they made it off a list, but sometimes you could name any card or any card in your faction. I'm curious what it was. Could it have been if the dragon won, it would have been Hitomi by default? I don't know. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's interesting though. That's a good point I hadn't actually considered was they set up Hitomi to be this person that is barreling towards the championship and then they give it to a, a vote. I wonder if maybe the story team and the tournament team weren't talking to each other. Yeah, I don't know. It's very interesting because I just... I. I mean, we keep seeing this over and over in places that like they set up the story like it's going to go this way and then it doesn't. You know, we see that a lot with Quesada, too, is like he's very clearly like an antagonist in this situation. And yet he keeps plotting along like I 
Yeah. It's it's like they, they set it all up and they're like, okay, okay. We've put everybody like right up to the finish line and players are like, nah. Yeah. I'm going to do this instead. Like what? Exactly. So, I, I mean, maybe we need to blame players as much as we're blaming the story team. Like, hey, players, you guys suck. Yeah, uh, for sure. And we're going to be doing that a whole lot more as time goes on. Once the player decision stuff really starts taking off, y'all are going to get uh, plenty of blame. There's lots to go around. Yeah. But on the other hand, like, don't don't offer things that you're not willing to give, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like when you dress a toddler, you don't like say, what do you want to wear? You say, do you want to wear this or this? And AEG did not seem to understand the either or context of things. They were just like, I don't know what you want. Yeah, they, they did both. But I think they did a little too much of the what do you want? I think anyway, we'll talk about player uh, tournament, AEG's tournament choice thing much later on, a lot later on. But, yeah, definitely. Uh, the final note for the Obsidian Hand is um, what it is. Uh, we didn't mention that. Supposedly, this hand is the hand of Onotangu, the hand of Lord Moon, uh, the father of the Kami, who that was cut off by Hantai as they were falling to earth. He lopped off Dad's hand as they were tumbling down into Rokugan. So that's cool. I don't think that that's like actually mentioned anywhere until much later, though. That's like a... Yeah. I don't remember what source that's from, but I think that it was like a later thing before. Like, I th- I want to say that in the Clan War stuff, it's just like, she's got this hand. Yeah. It's spooky. It's definitely important later on. Mm-hmm. But I, def- I agree. I don't, I don't remember seeing a source for it in the stuff that we looked at so far. But definitely when her, the whole, the shenanigans with, with her and Yakimo uh, in the next set come around, it'll be important. Yep. So, yeah, she gets this cool hand. She's got to go fight in a tournament. And um, we'll find out in a little bit how that goes. Yeah. Meanwhile. Meanwhile, uh, Kachigo, Kachigo up to shenanigans, part two. <laughs> oh, man. This is so uh, good. This is so good. <laughs> this is one of the more, this is one of the more batshit plot points of Clan Wars. And I love it. This is one. <laughs> I, I love, love everything one. about this. So I just, I mean, I, like I'm trying to figure out exactly like where to start with this. Like, how do I, you start with this? I want to start with, <laughs> I want to start with how this happened. Like, yeah, no, that's that's absolutely appropriate. Yes. Okay, let's start there. Go ahead. People didn't like the crane. Like that's everybody hated the crane. And was it yeah. was it a herald vote? Yeah, it was a herald vote, and the crane were so unpopular they want. Uh, lost the herald vote in a landslide to have their champion somethinged yeah i want to say that like on on jade hand the wording is just like a champion must fall yeah we found a a source thank you internet wayback machine uh oh god we found a a, a source i was on um the wayback machine and then we also found it on kaze no shiro saying that apparently the the crane clan was so tremendously unpopular at the time of the vote that they won in a landslide to have their champion fall and so what happens in this fall is this let's let's talk about it what happens this is the kind of like soap opera drama bullshit that i have come to expect and love from l5r like this is a part of what i really like about this game is when shit just gets so like insane that you have to have been watching for the last, like, three years to even understand that her twin brother's ex 
cousin's lover is actually dead, but now he's not. Yeah, absolutely. And that's kind of what's happening here. <laughs> so Kachiko arranges for the crane champion, Hoturi, to be kidnapped. And then she makes an evil copy of him. And he goes out and is like wrecking shit, like just fucking shit up. And everybody's like, oh my God, Hoturi is evil. And he's not. He's just been kidnapped by his ex-lover and turned evil with an egg. And it's so good. Yeah. <laughs> like, what more could you want? The whole the whole thing, this this is a the the kidnapping and egging of Hotori <laughs> is is a is a really really classic example of an L5R storyline because it starts out what do we have when we start out we have the barest barest thread of information and that is that Hotori got he went to go talk to Kachiko and then didn't come back yeah and then when he and then all of a sudden he's like out killing people. Yeah. So you have this very, very base information that he goes in and like from the cards, you know, very little, you know, that there's, and then there's this new card called the false Hotori. So, you know, there's a Hotori, there's something called the false Hotori. And then, you know, there's this thing called the egg of pan coup. So, you know, there's two Hoturis and there's something called the false Hotori. That's about it. And then the fictions start coming out and they explain a little bit more that, Kachiko did it, and Toshimoko, who we'll hear a little bit more about in a second. Toshimoko believes that there's something going on, and that this is not his real lord. And you hear more about how the egg of Panku was used to create a duplicate of the kidnapped crane lord. And you get a little more detail. And then the RPGs come out a couple of years later, and they add more detail to the whole shenanigans. And as the years pass, more and more stuff gets layered on. And then... Later sets add even more drama to it. They add more background to Kachiko and Hitori's history. I don't know. We we should, we can mention it. We'll get into more detail in it in the next set. But in Scorp Scorpion Clan Coup, uh, which is the set that we'll review, we'll be talking about next, but chronologically takes place before this. It's revealed that Kachiko and Shoju have a kid, which never comes up in this. But they have a kid named Dairu Beishi Dairu who is actually Hoturi's son, not Shoju's son. Plot twist. So there's all kinds of drama here. And it's the classic L5R storyline, the way it evolves from a couple of cards. And over time, more and more story and plot and meaning accretes to it over time. And it's great. It's, this is the kind of cool I stuff. I love it because like what you have by the end is just so batshit insane that like, like I said, it is a soap opera. It's like they have, they've been having this affair and then there's an illegitimate kid. And then I think like Hoturi kills their kid, but because he, he doesn't even know that it is their kid. And, but like at this point, you don't know any of that. Yeah. All you know is that like he went to go talk to her and then he never came back. Yeah. No, it's, it's fantastic. It's really a, a perfect snapshot of how L5R storylines evolve and grow. And right now we've got this one little, piece of sand in this in the the oyster of this storyline right now uh of hotori getting kidnapped by kajigo 
Yeah, and then eventually he just kind of shows back up. Yeah, then like, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> There's like no explanation yeah. there either. He just pops back it's up just again. Like, yeah, yeah. All of a sudden they're like, "Oh, we found him. He was in rough shape, but he's good now." Yeah, like, oh, okay. And different sources say different things about how he was rescued or who rescued him. And this is the thing that I want to talk about too with this game is that the some of the inconsistencies that we find are due to the purpose of the media that they appeared in. If you look at Imperial Histories, it says, we don't know who rescued him. Maybe it was the players, right? Because you're trying to work, you're trying to have this story framework that people can insert their stories into. Whereas with the card game, you are trying to play out a story. Like that's not, you personally are not interacting with that world. So there has to be some kind of room to maneuver in the RPG that you don't have in the card game. And so I think because they started out with the card game, a lot of that was really like there weren't a lot of holes left to for players to fill. And so they kind of had to backtrack a little bit and say, actually, we don't really know. We said this thing, but now maybe not true. Yeah. And so I I think that some of the inconsistencies are rooted in that kind of thinking. I I certainly don't think all of them are. But I think that it's worth mentioning that, like, some of it is going to be just based on the nature of, like, what you're supposed to do with those stories. Yeah, I think that's a really good point, especially since a lot of the – a lot of the – detail that we know like historical detail comes from books like time of the void which are uh adventure supplements they're not like historical books it's not like imperial histories is a volume i mean it's called imperial histories and it is a book for you to like build adventures out of but it's also like a historical document sort of they're providing you with chronicles of histories but that's not like time of the void time of the void is a big adventure that also has like blurbs about what's going on. It's a campaign for you to play more than anything else. And a lot of the old, uh, when you go back and when we do our research, a lot of these older supplements that we find information and plot points and details on are from chronicles and uh, adventures supplements, not from like informational supplements. So that is an interesting point to make that these were these details are coming out of books where you're supposed to be playing in. So that that changes the context of the information you're getting. Yeah, I know even Imperial Histories has a couple like sidebars in it of like here's what this might look like if it had gone a different way. Like if the crab had been successful at Baden Pass or I'm trying to remember what some of the other ones were, but yeah. it's like you could try and play out this scenario. And so even within that there's some mm-hmm. inconsistencies just because you have to have room to tell your own story, which is not what you were doing with the card game. That story within the card game is much more static. A person does a thing, the event happens a certain way, the end. Yeah. Whereas with the RPG, you are trying to play it out, you're rolling dice, it may not go that way, you have no clue. And so there has to be a little bit of wiggle room yeah. there yeah. that there isn't in like the fictions and stuff. Yeah, the the cards, the fictions, and the the RPG are all trying to do different, slightly different things. The cards are trying to give you a a feel for the world that you're that these cards are in. The stories are trying to tell a story, and then the RPG is trying to build a, build a world for you to tell a story in. And those are all those all have a different goal, and they can sometimes lead to confusing results. So this is a really good point I hadn't considered. So that's cool. 
Yeah, I think it's an interesting way to think about some of this that like yeah. why these decisions were the way they and I honestly just fascinating to try and like as a writer to try and work within that framework too of like Yeah. You know, which part are you writing for and what stuff do you use and not use based on what your goal is? Yeah. Do you want to talk about your favorite dude? I do. I really do. Uh, I mean, he's not your favorite, favorite dude. But. I have a lot of favorites, um, but certainly Toshimoko, Kakita Toshimoko is one of my favorite dudes. Certainly in the clan war, he he might be up there as my favorite. Um, you were like pretty excited when he showed up when we were playing the other night. Kakita Toshimoko <laughs> is a, a super cool dude. He is the sensei of the Kakita Dueling Academy. He taught Doji Haturi, his brother Doji Kwanan. He instructed Shibitsukune, the emperor, and his son, Satori. He was Satsume, who is Satori's father. He was his Yojimbo. He's got a famous sword, Kandaisa. He apparently tested it against rocks. That was like the sword's claim to fame. It's an ancient sword that started a tradition of testing Kikita blades against rocks. I don't entirely understand that one. That seems... Bad for swords, and from what I understand of katanas, that would be really stupid. But okay, whatever. I'm sure it sounded cool when they wrote it. Uh, but more, it's it's a magic ancient sword. Don't worry yeah, about it. But more than that, uh, aside from being a very good teacher, he was also like just a really like good dude. He was famously good spirited, often like laughing. He liked to drink. He liked women. Who doesn't? <laughs> His motto was apparently, live as if each day is your last and you will never live to regret, which I think is a pretty reasonable motto. It's pretty cool. He was called the Gray Crane because his hair was iron gray from a young age. Uh, Amelia calls him the Anderson Cooper of Rokugan. That is how Tanner described him when we played, and I cannot get it out of my head now that, like, that is, that he's Anderson Cooper. I'm on board. <laughs> he's pretty good looking, you know, like, he's... He's got it together. Toshimogo is a great character. He was pretty popular at the time because he was a very good card, very handsome man. So here's the timeline of events for the Emerald Championship and our boy, Toshimoko. Uh, summer of 1127, Hoturi and Toshimoko. Hoturi and Toshimoko were very close. Um, there's a very early fiction in the Clan Wars where a young Hoturi and Toshimoko are on the road <laughs> and a, I love this one too. Yeah, like a, a crab samurai shows up and Toshimoko just bounces him around and embarrasses him uh, to teach Hattori a lesson, like to give him sort of like an object lesson. And I don't remember exactly what the point was, but it's a really funny story and it really gives you a good picture of what Toshimoko's personality is like. Anyway, they they head to Odosanuchi to beseech the emperor to stop the crab army that's approaching Kikita Castle. This is when Hoturi gets grabbed, so you can imagine that doesn't really work out for them. This is one of those times when things get blurry, uh, because it's not entirely clear what happens next. Depending on the source, one of a few things happens. So in one version, he goes to the Unicorn Lands to get help, uh, knowing that he wouldn't get there before the, uh, Kikita Castle fell. In another, he's, it, the problem is that the false Hattori is in Crane Lands and is basically pissing everybody off, and he gets... So he basically parties so hard that the lion declares war on the crane officially. Wait. Yes. Have they not been doing the war the whole time? I don't understand this one. 
Is it more war? It's more war somehow. I don't understand this. Okay. This is... For real this time. uh, This is from uh, Ryan Dancy's timeline. And I don't... These are like weird summaries of the timeline. And I'm never entirely sure how to to treat these, the canonicity of these things. Imperial Herald says that the false hoturi stuff happens after the tournament, the Imperial Herald tournament. So I don't even know what the fuck to do with that. The timing of the tournament even is really weird because there's one fiction I think that I read that suggests that it's happening like almost right after the coup. And yeah, if we're looking at this timeline where we've kind of assessed things from our compiling of sources, this is like four years later. So there's some inconsistencies about when this tournament is even happening. I mean, much less like the minute details of was it before or after Hoturi was kidnapped? Like, was it in 1123 or was it in 1127? Yeah, it's all over the place. It should be noted that the reason why we need a new uh, Emerald Champion is that Doji Satsume is dead. He was the previous Emerald Champion. Uh, In any case, uh, Toshimoko signs up. Because ostensibly he needs to, he needs the authority to kill the false Hattori. This is as best as I can. There's one fiction that specifically states that in order to be able to legally kill his champion, the false Hattori, who who at the time he believes is not, he doesn't, he doesn't know about the false Hattori at that time, but he knows that this evil Hattori is making things worse for his clan, and to have the appropriate authority to kill. The, his own champion. He needs to be the Emerald Champion. He enters the tournament. Despite the fact that he was recently wounded by a f- nearly fatal ninja attack for which there is no <laughs> other context. Oh, God. <laughs> I love this so much. I know absolutely nothing about this. I have no idea where this came from or what what it could be. Uh, nothing gives any context for this quote. It's so good. It's in the Imperial Herald article announcing the tournament win. All I can think of is that maybe the tournament where this was won, the deck that the crane player beat had a lot of ninja cards in it, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. But yeah, there's this random quote about ninja ninja wounds. It's super weird. But maybe they're just like, you know what? He already cuts rocks with his sword, but he's not cool enough. Yeah. Let's have him survive a ninja attack. Yeah. So uh, he... There's a series of cards. It's very cool, actually. So uh, he goes up against Hitomi in in the last round. He gets through the whole tournament, and he gets up against Hitomi in the, in the last round and defeats her, much to her surprise, as you can imagine. And she's super arrogant about it, and he's just like, he just smiles at her and puts her down. It doesn't kill her, obviously. But he defeats her and then goes to tell Kachigo, like, I beat your, your champion. I will not be your 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 pawn, but I got to go do a thing here. So later, and he goes off to kill Hoturi. Which is like not a thing that he's really allowed to do. I mean, he's allowed to go kill Hoturi now, but like he's Emerald Champion. Like the Emperor straight up like is his direct supervisor. Yeah. The, the line that it says is he will, he lets her know that he will not stand for her meddling in his affairs. So he's just like, thanks for the armor. Fuck you. Bye. Yeah. So I don't know about that. What a cool dude. What a cool dude. Um, in Time of the Void, it says that he, once he becomes the Emerald Champion, he makes it his first priority to look into Kachiko. Uh, Kachiko orders him to reestablish the Emerald Magistrates. 
and investigate the rumors of Hotori using black magic and consorting with the undead to distract him from investigating her. So his first goal is to investigate Kachiko, and she says, oh, well, instead of investigating me, why don't you go investigate your own, your own champion who's been using black magic? The whole thing is super shenanigans uh, as far as the, the, the interaction with Kachiko. But we will put the cards, uh, we'll, ex- we'll link the, the cards that go through the, uh, the duel with Hitomi in the show notes. Um, we put all the, the, the references on the website, so you can see them there. But I, I will also mention the names of the cards in the show notes because they're a really good example of how the storyline of major events was told through the cards. It's a really great example of it. It's super cool. So here's an interesting question I, yeah. I'm, that you probably don't have the answer to, but like I'm interested to know how this went over with people. Like If people fucking hated the Crane Clan so much... That they were like, fuck Hoturi, and then a crane wins the Emerald Championship. Like, how did that go over? I don't know. Uh, listeners, since apparently we have some, uh, we didn't mention that at the top, but this is our first episode we've recorded since we've launched this stupid podcast. And apparently there's more than 20 of you, and some of you have been playing this game since the launch. So there's good odds that at least at least two or three of you remember this, uh, hit us up. Tell us if you remember about this. Answer this question for us. Do you remember how people reacted to... Were people mad? I hope so. I feel like they would be mad. I hope so. (laughs) (laughs) No. I I, I don't hope that they were mad. I feel like that's more I mean, I, I love everything that came out of this. Like, I love this stupid bullshit story of Hoturi and Kachiko. I love Toshimoko. I It's good. It's I, good I, stuff. I love Toshimoko. I love that he, I mean, again, do I don't really I should stop saying you spoilers. You love the same thing about him that you love about Saruchi though. It's just like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> I really It's true. Um, <laughs> no, I, I was going to say I should, I should stop saying spoilers cuz we're going to get it all there eventually. But uh Toshimoko is going to go on to just rock that emerald armor for years <laughs> he's just gonna be great he has a super cool storyline and he just he's he, he's not going anywhere so i'm super glad that he he got into the storyline here at some point i do want to talk about the uh the whole we'll talk about it much later not anytime soon but at some point i'd it'll be it would be an interesting thing to talk about the propensity of these characters that get established early to not go anywhere. Yeah, they find ways for them to keep coming back. Yeah, well, I mean, you have these characters that like Toshimoko is just, I mean, he's just going to keep cropping up over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. And we'll see that all throughout L5R. Like these same characters will just keep getting involved in bullshit over and over and over again. So we'll talk about it later. But I like that because I think that's, I think that's a thing that we've, come to expect slash love about l5r is that you even though we're not seeing it now and we continually complain about it now that we have kind of boring one-dimensional characters eventually over time we get these really deep complex arcs for these people because they keep showing up yeah. because they won't go away oh no yeah no i, I like that i'm I, what i want to talk what i'm curious about is how that's going to happen is that how much of that is players continually choosing those characters like how do we end up in that state is it 
players continually choosing those characters for story prizes uh, or is it the story team focusing on them? I'm interested in how, how we get that. So anyway, yeah, sorry, side sidebar. No, that's cool. So our last little bit here, um, I don't know, is this our last bit? I, I don't know, I, I forget. So, I mean, we really, usually we try to kind of summarize, like, what does that mm. mean for all of this? And I feel like because the first couple things that we did were all related, those first three things were all uh going together so like what does that tell us about yeah let's where the story's going yeah so i mean for me what i when we look at these things what i'm seeing is the story is starting to i see storylines starting to emerge of characters coming together and interacting in ways that are more classically l5r than in the first part of the story where you had i don't know in the first part of the clan wars in the first couple of episodes we were covering weird sort of standalone storylines and in this latter part we're starting to see characters interacting in in more interesting ways and in ways that become more relevant later on the first kind of part of the clan wars you have a lot of random stuff elemental terrors yeah we had like junzo opening his scrolls over there we had some naga over here we had you know, the crab's doing their thing over there and then Suko doing her thing over here. And it seems like that they're starting to form a web now. We are becoming entangled. Yeah, I think maybe the Battle of Baden Pass is kind of where that starts a little bit. And then here is where you start seeing, because here we've got the crab to a certain degree are sort of provoking this, but really you've got the crane and the scorpion and the dragon all starting to get tied together and... Very quickly, the lion are, are going to get involved in this. Um, and everybody's kind of starting to get dragged all into one place. And more importantly, though, to me, they're also, these are just a different kind of story than we've seen before so far. Yes. And that's, I mean, that's part of why I was super excited about this one is like, these are the kinds of like, these are the kinds of stories that I personally like in L5R is like the kind of political plotting and, you know. Yeah. That kind of stuff. Um, the weird, like, interpersonal things, not so much mm. big military battles. Yeah. I think there's, for me, it's it's almost not so much about what the stories are about, but the the way the stories are composed. And these stories very much feel like they're trying to, they're actually trying to tell a story and move the plot forward. Whereas a lot of the older stories just sort of seem like they're standalone vignettes trying to chicken joe wizards <laughs> yeah uh the earlier stuff seems like it's trying to paint a picture in rokugan and as we're getting on here especially this stuff it seems like the story team's starting to get their shit together and they're actually starting to talk amongst themselves and are starting to like connect various pieces of fiction all together because you have the false Atori stuff connects to the Emerald Champion stuff, which connects to the false hand stuff, which connects to the Baden Pass stuff. And things are starting, the fiction's all starting to tie together a little bit in a way that we didn't have before. Before you had vague references a little bit, but the Baden Pass stuff, like it was much harder to connect things before. You, and it seems like they're making a better effort to connect the, the the various storylines that are going on, which uh, feels more like L5R to me. Yeah, you had the clan letters that occasionally would be like, hey, we know this thing this other clan is doing. But it was still very like one-on-one kind of mm. like little bits and pieces. Yeah. And not really like part of a fuller narrative. Yeah. 
I was going to ask, but now I'm, I'm questioning myself. Like, is this because the earlier fictions were sort of setting that groundwork and now that we have that groundwork, we can actually build on it? Or was it just because, like, they figured out what the fuck they were doing? I My read on it is they were, I think they were getting a little bit better at it. And I think also it definitely feels like, because some time has passed. I mean, we, we're getting to the point here where we're, I think, a year and a half into the game. Yeah. And I think they put out enough cards and they put out enough stuff that they, the writing team is starting to get a feel for what's going on. And I think mm-hmm. they're getting a little more confident in what they're doing. Because that's certainly how it feels to me with some of this stuff. So I, I think it's a little bit of both. Yeah, that's fair. I think we're starting to get more of what I like about L5R, though. So, like, I'm going to be a little bit less grumpy moving forward, hopefully. Yeah. Sometimes, maybe. <laughs> yeah. I, there's still stuff that's stupid, as we're going to see when we talk oh, about. Oh, for sure. I mean, we didn't name this podcast Garbage of the Five Rings because there was, like, one section of garbage. Yeah. It feels more like L5R is, I think, why I like the the stories that we're talking about today. Yeah, I agree. But we maybe have been too nice to this game this time. Like, I think it's. I think it's not that it. I think what we're experiencing here is relief that it's less garbage than the previ- than the stuff we've been reading up to this point. So, do you think that maybe it's time we should like talk about some garbage then? Yes. Which is why okay. we've got more Casada. Yes. So I have titled this Yoritomo and Casada Literal Shipping. Very nice. I'm very proud of myself. (laughs) (laughs) Um, This section is about crabs on boats. And you guys, I fucking give up. Why are the crabs on boats? This section's incredibly stupid. I don't know. Okay. So. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so. (laughs) All right. All right. Here is what's going on. At some point, the crab are going to sail somewhere, and there is not a lot of clarity as to where those boats come from. The mantis either did or did not help, either did or did not sabotage the boats, and either did or did not know the entire time that the crab were evil. They might have given the boats to the crab. They might have had the boats stolen from them. And also, we're supposed to believe that the crab know how to make boats. Or sailboats. Yeah. All of this is ridiculous. And this is this is one of the more preposterous uh, incidents of like material uh, source confusion that we've run across. The actual fictions themselves say that the crab, this is so stupid, that the crab I, invaded I, yeah. the Mantis Islands and built boats on them, which is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. So here's a question too. If they built the boats while they were at the Mantis Islands, how the fuck did they get Thank to the you. islands? Thank you. Yes, I was just about to say this. Did they teleport there? Did they did they walk? I, Under I don't know. I it's it's insane. I mean, technically, in one of the RPG books, I, well, I think actually even in Fourth Edition, there is a spell where you can teleport. So well, that's uh, stupid. That's maybe. stupid, but different. <laughs> um, yeah. Clearly, though, somebody later on went back and read these fictions and was like, oh, fuck. Because in 4th edition, in Imperial Histories, they retcon this whole thing and they make it so that Kasada uh, rented boats from Yoritomo and just 
blast that whole block of history out of the water. <laughs> that makes up for my army quote. <laughs> uh, so they uh, they they change the whole thing, but this is where it gets real stupid. There is a second edition RPG supplement called The Winter Court, Kudin Kakita, in which it asserts that the Mantis get blown off course. A, a boat of Mantis scouts get blown off course and just happen to stumble upon Kuniyori on a date with an Oni. Uh, a nice dinner out. A nice, you know, a nice... Some soft music, mood lighting. Yeah, making a deal with an Oni. Uh, however, here's I have I have some beef with this. I guess I have some questions about this. We've established <laughs> that elemental terrors are the first oni that can talk. Mm-hmm. So how, which leads me to to then ask how is Kuniyori making this deal with this oni? Is he holding up? They've inter- they've developed like a complicated sign language. Oh, see, I I assumed he was holding up flashcards like that creepy dude in Love Actually. Uh-huh. Which I guess in this metaphor would make Kuni Yori Kira Knightley. Um, I, I mean, like it's an Oscar-worthy performance, <laughs> certainly. I I just this whole whole assertion is bonkers to me. That first of all, they crabs on boats. First of all, crabs on fucking boats, Jude. Well, no, hold on. I'm I'm still stuck on the idea that the man is just. There's so much wrong about this whole thing that they, uh, this is, the man this, just, this is just stumble too. upon Kuni Yori, making a deal with an with a with an oni that can't talk, and then proceed to just hold on to this information. The whole thing is for several years. For several years. Now, granted, they're a minor clan, so nobody's going to believe them anyway. But the whole thing is like it's just dumb. There's no. It's it's a completely unnecessary pile of horse shit to stick in an RPG book and just. You know that it was written by somebody that thought the mantis were fucking cool. It's such fan wank. I just hate it. I just hate it. <laughs> we were we were so nice this whole episode, and then it, ju- know, it just had to be okay. something. It's just fucking stupid. I I just hate this whole. I hate that whole section. It's just dumb. So I was trying to figure out early on when we first started this research when was the first time we got an actual map of Rokugan because this is a thing that I noticed several times while I was reading some of the fictions too that it was like and the crab fled north back home and i was like but north is not home that's not how that works and like there were just a couple times where it was like people would just like appear places and i know that like even within the story like the maps are inconsistent and speed of plot kind of a thing well no do you not know this no i know i know that the 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 maps are all wrong i know that the the okay. imperial cartographers yeah. intentionally falsify the maps so that nobody except for the emperor can get anywhere efficiently. Um, yeah, close enough. <laughs> but like, I'm wondering when the first time they sat down and like made a map, right? Because like, how did the mantis just get blown off course into the middle of the fucking Shadowlands? Maybe they were taking a the moonlit walk on the beach. Maybe. I mean, I guess they were on a date, so that's fine. I mean, does. Does Shadowlands have a lot of beachfront property? Uh, sure. Maybe. But I'm just saying that, like, I-, I wonder if some of these inconsistencies are due to the fact that, like, we just didn't have a map to, like, even know. Uh, I mean, you-, you would still know that, like, you can't get to an island without a boat. I mean, that's, like, basic. 
Would you? Logic. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I mean, I guess I shouldn't assume at this point. Like, I guess I shouldn't assume. I don't know. They it's it, they called them the Mantis Islands. So I I have right. to believe that you're right on that one at least. Yeah, I, I mean, there's just some major questions about the Southern Islands it, of the Mantis Clan. Is the is the is the quote? So yes, they have to have known. They're called islands. I I I will. I want to be snarky about this, but I have to assume that the person who wrote that knew that there are that islands have water around them. Right. Right. I mean, God, I hope so. So that I mean that we can file away as huh. But like even past that, like why do the crab need like boats? I mean, I just like what? Who thought? You know what? Boats. Were they like, I don't know, they seem kind of like Vikings. Like, Vikings have boats, crabs have boats. Yeah. Boats. Like, where where did that come from? Because I think that, like, I don't think of the crab as a seafaring people. Yeah, I mean, I know they have... At all. So one of the fictions mentions merchant ships, but... But the Oski were still crane at this point? Uh, Yeah, I, I don't know where they're coming up with that. Like, I don't think the... I think that's one of those, like, pull it out of the rear situations. I so I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess I could see the crab engaging in some trade and stuff. But, like, who are they trading? Barges, know, though? Right. Like, I don't know. I, I don't know. These are, like, ships, right? The whole thing is. These are, like, ships. The whole thing is horse shit. What's our, I don't what's know. Our I mean, really, I just want to go back to crabs on boats. What's our takeaway from this? This whole thing is horse shit. That's, what, that's our takeaway from this. Yes. Yes. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, I, I feel like at least every episode we should have, like, one thing that we're, like, what the fuck? I think we lapped around from what the fuck to fuck this thing. So, <laughs> and it's definitely more than one thing always. So, yeah, I mean, that's really to end on that note of like, I don't know. I'm not sure they knew what was going on. It, they maybe did or did not borrow these boats. They did or did not make them themselves. People did or did not try to stop them. It, unclear. Yep. Unclear. Unclear. So, I mean, I think that that is a good way to wrap up this episode of uh, this trash podcast is, I don't know. It's stupid. Stuff's happening. Some of it's good. Some of it's bad. Some of it's fucking stupid. Some of it's, some of it's real dumb. Yep. And uh, Kuni Yori was on a date. So that's, you know, <laughs> that's really what we need to know about this. Moonlit walk on the Shadowlands beach. Uh, you put in the note that he was maybe going to a bar with what was clearly four Oni in a trench coat. I was pretty proud of that. I couldn't, I, I wasn't able to work it in here. I don't know where, where's um, going with that. I just <laughs> want to make a note of that, that it probably was four Oni in a trench coat, uh, taking a moonlit walk on a beach. Yeah. <laughs> Cause I like that visual. <laughs> I like to imagine that they have a fake mustache too. Yeah. So with all of that, I think that that's, that's enough of that. And we are going to talk about some really good stuff next time. Oh yeah. Um, we're going to get like super deep into my bullshit. Nerd birds. And I'm here for it. So in two weeks, we will be back. Garbage of the Five Rings is an independent production and can be found online at www.garbageofthefiverings.com and on Twitter at G5R Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Amelia Antrim, and I can be found on Twitter at Ginger Reckoning. My co-host, Jude Vase, can be found on Twitter at Aramidic Jude. Sources for this episode and further information on the topics discussed can be found in the show notes. Thanks for letting us waste your time. We'll be back in two weeks.